Good morning. And welcome to our annual celebration of Christ the King Sunday. The Sunday in which we try not to embarrass ourselves too much with the fact that few of us are big fans of the idea of kings or kingdoms. In fact, the whole idea of Jesus as a king is so problematic to me right now that it would be easy to go on a complete tangent that would probably do neither of us any good at all. But I mean, Christ the King, really? At a time when our president is doing everything in his power to deny the institutions of democracy and establish himself as king, we glorify that ambition? Why put a golden halo around outdated and undemocratic institutions like monarchies? Can't we just have a Christ the President Sunday, maybe? Or how, how about getting away from this whole world domination idea altogether? What about Christ the Brother, right? Why not Christ the high school English teacher, maybe? How about Christ, the next-door neighbor who comes by to check on us once in a while. Why does it have to be Christ the King? How is Christ the King any different from Christ the Dictator? Well, I, I did a little digging on this whole situation. You'll be pleased to learn that, guess what? It's complicated. It turns out that Christ the King Sunday is one of the newest feasts on the Christian calendar established by Pope Pius XI in 1925, just 95 years ago. What else, you wonder, was happening in 1925? Well, 1925 was the year that Mussolini dissolved the Italian parliament and declared himself dictator. It was the year that Adolf Hitler resurrected his political party and published Mein Kampf. It was also the year when Joseph Stalin began to consolidate his power following Lenin's death. And it was the year that 40,000 Ku Klux Klansmen, 40,000, marched in a demonstration in Washington, D.C. At that time, I didn't know this, at that time, the Klan was the largest fraternal organization in the United States. Some have suggested that Pope Pius XI declared this day to be Christ the King Sunday as a way of counteracting the rise of fascism and dictatorships. So it's not like Christ the King, it's more like Christ the King. There's only one person worthy of absolute obedience, and that person is Jesus. It's Christ the King, not Hitler, not Mussolini, not Stalin. But it's not as if Pope Pius was opposed to dictatorships per se. In the 1920s and 30s, he made deals with both Hitler and Mussolini, eventually winning from Mussolini the right to reinstate the Vatican as its own sovereign nation, with himself, of course, as its supreme ruler. He did eventually speak out against anti-Semitism, but many say he was far too timid. At any rate, it's not as if he instituted Christ the King Sunday as a way of saying, 
the only supreme ruler you should have in your life is Jesus. <clears throat> because no, he himself would have been happy to serve as king of the world. It's just that he would have done it in the name of Jesus. So it's complicated. It's made even more complicated by the fact that while the Pope established Christ the King as a feast in the Catholic Church, it's not an official feast day in the Episcopal Church. It's really more like a tradition, really. And who knows? Maybe future generations will decide that it's a tradition that's run its course in terms of optics and messaging. Because, you know, kingdoms have always been problematic in democracies such as ours, and rightfully so. The other day I heard a progressive preacher talk about not the kingdom of God, but rather the kingdom of God. Emphasis on how we are all kin in God's realm. I like that. Which would suggest a Christ the kin Sunday rather than king. Interesting. I like how that would draw us into identifying with one another across our racial and ethnic lines. That we are all kin to one another through the body of Christ. We're all members of the holy family, if you will. When Jesus himself reflected on all of this, he could not have imagined himself as a supreme king before whom all mortals would bow down in obsequious devotion. Jesus would never have wanted to see images of himself seated on a throne, surrounded with symbols of domination and power. He was explicit about this. If you want to demonstrate devotion to me, go visit someone in the hospital. Go feed someone who's hungry. Go clothe someone who's shivering in the cold. Go wash someone's feet. For truly, I tell you, he says in today's gospel, just as you did it to the one of least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Note, he said, those who are members of my family, not those who are subjects in my kingdom. When I was 17 years old, I was, uh, I was standing beside a freeway on-ramp somewhere near San Jose, California. I'd been on the road for a few weeks at that point. This was the first of three summer-long hitchhiking trips that I went on back in my late teens. And on this first trip, I was looking for evidence for the existence of God. I was on a quest to find evidence for God. It was in the middle of the day. The summer sun was intense. No one was picking me up. I must have stood by the side of that on-ramp for two hours, holding up a sign that said, Oregon, when I was joined by another hitchhiker. His face had that deeply tanned, weathered look you see in a lot of homeless guys. It looked like he hadn't shaved in a few weeks. His clothes were pretty dirty. He didn't smell so good either. I wasn't thrilled with the idea that we would be sharing the same on-ramp. Two hitchhikers are far less likely to get picked up than one. But we got to talking, and to my relief, the man was sober and friendly, and he asked me if I had been down to the blood bank that morning. 
I didn't know what he was talking about, so he pointed down the road. He said, there's a plasma bank right down there. I go all the time. Dude, they pay you for your plasma. He said he had gone there the day before, the, he had gone there that day, but they had turned him away because he had just been there the day before, and they have a limit on that kind of thing. So he was on his way to another donation site he knew about the next town over. And he pulled up his sleeve and he showed me the holes in his arms where countless needles had gone in. I'd never met anyone like him in my life before that. I was curious and pretty soon he was telling me his life story, especially about his days in Vietnam and about a village there on one particular day. It was a gruesome story the details of which I won't go into, but suffice it to say that he had done terrible things and he had seen some even more terrible things done. As he told his story, I felt his eyes on me and they were the eyes of a man who was haunted. The things that happened that day in that village still had a steel grip on him. When he finished, I asked him if he was hungry, and in fact he was, so I happened to have some bread and peanut butter in my backpack and some jam. He had some stale cookies that I suspected had been uh, uh, liberated from the plasma bank. And so I set about making the sandwich, which took a couple of minutes getting everything out and putting it all together. I wasn't paying much attention to him, but then when I broke the sandwich into two halves and I handed his half to him, I looked up into his eyes and he was gazing intently into my face, gently smiling at me. That haunted look of his was gone, at least for that moment. It looked as if the storm inside his brain had passed maybe for a minute. He was very still and there was something about him that I can't describe. The best word I would use is joy. Or maybe I would go so far as to say love. And he took the sandwich that I offered him and he lifted it up and he said, thanks be to God. And I said, thanks be to God. I was 17 years old. I was born and raised into the Episcopal Church. But that felt to me like my first communion. It was years later that I discovered this passage in Matthew's Gospel about how when we visit the sick and feed the hungry, we are ministering to Jesus himself. I was in divinity school working my way through Matthew's Gospel really for the first time, and the minute I discovered this passage, I was taken back to that on-ramp near San Jose, and I realized what it was I had seen in his face. It was not Christ the King, it was Christ the brother, Christ the homeless man, Christ the traumatized veteran, Christ the wayward soul just looking for a little bit of communion by the side of a busy freeway in 1970s America. Years later, the singer Joan Osborne would come out with a hit song that famously asked the question, what if God was one of us? 
What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? And that, of course, is the beauty of this gospel. Because that's what it means to call Jesus Emmanuel. God is one of us. But he's no slob. God is in the healing connection of two strangers by the side of the road. God is in the moment when a drug addict submits to a higher power and finds the strength to remain sober. God is in the courage of a Roman Catholic nun who risks imprisonment to bring water to refugees trying to cross a desert. God is in the perseverance of healthcare workers at the height of a pandemic. God is in the hearts of politicians who obey the will of the people over the outrageous lies of a would-be dictator. God is here with us right now whenever we look a person in the eyes and find Jesus looking back. They say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that a vaccine is on its way, that the rule of, a, uh, the rule of law in our land will survive this present crisis. And I trust that's true. But you know, Pope Pius had no idea what the world was facing in 1925, and really neither do we. All we know for sure is that when two or three are gathered together in his name, he is with us. And that there is nothing on the face of this earth that can keep us from the love of God. As long as we have eyes to see and hearts that beat, we will have love, we will have healing, we will have courage, we will have communion. Nobody can take that away from us because there is no power more powerful than our common humanity embodied and alive in Jesus Christ, our kin. Amen.